Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Leading us in prayer and reminding us of uh, some things that we can pray for during the week, and some people we can pray for. I have some praise news, I think. Oh, don't, you don't mind me sharing this, Bow? Um, we've been praying for Bow as a church and praying particularly that Bow, um, you know, around the, the visa application thing and, and, and gaining residency here. Well, during the week, Bow was offered full time employment by his employer, um, which is uh, a great step towards uh, the visa process. And so we just want to praise the Lord for that because uh, that's just really, we know that's from the Lord. <laughs> so uh, keep praying for Bao and Becky as they seek to become residents here. And, and there's just this great opportunity here in Murray Bridge for them uh, to minister amongst the Chinese community, and not only the Chinese community, but Murray Bridge is becoming more and more a multicultural centre. And, uh, you know, um, I, I kind of think that God is bringing the mission field here because we're not going there. <laughs> and God in his grace and mercy is bringing them here. And so we need to be part of that as people who love the Lord because Jesus said, go into all nations. All nations means all types of people. And tell them the good news about Jesus. And so uh, well, let's be let's be part of that. Let's be in prayer about all of that too and many other things. So last week we touched on the, the life of a Christian in the midst of diversity from Colossians chapter 3. You've got your Bibles there, turn there with me. And uh, we touched on, on the life of a Christian in the midst of diversity. That is, a Christian can be unified in Christ yet they may be diversified in many different ways, including race. The church is really a, a melting pot of different colours, different flavours, but we are one in Christ. Amen? That's why the churches should be uniquely different to the world, because we have a gathering of people from all different colours, from all different parts of the world, and we come together for the cause of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel, for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Christianity is neither white, nor is it black, but it is all Christ. And until you get that, you will think it's one or the other. will think it's white. It's a white man's religion. And unfortunately, history doesn't favour the church, does it? History doesn't favour the church regarding this. There was a time when Christianity was considered to be a white man's religion. <laughs> you know why? Because all the white missionaries went into these countries to make the people like them I was at a Bible study, I was invited to a Bible study one time and they were showing the, um, the was it called the Gates of Splendor? 
Anyway, it's a story of Elizabeth Elliot and the mission that she went on with, along with the other wives of the men who had passed away or been murdered by the, uh, the Hurarian people uh, of uh, Ecuador. And, um, and, and the wives went back to reach these tribes for the glory of God so that they could become Christians. And it was great. And it was encouraging to see these wives. You know, they, they, the threat of losing their lives did not matter. But to see the mission accomplished uh, really drove them to, to lay down their lives for God. And so they went in and uh, uh, these people got saved. These, these tribes who were you know, quite vicious people, they just murdered their husbands uh, and uh, they got saved. And then the next shot we see in the DVD was that they're running around in Levi jeans and baseball caps and t-shirts. And it's okay, we had a discussion after that, the DVD and, and I was quite taken back by what people thought Christianity was all about. They thought that a person gets saved from becoming someone who wears grass skirts to someone who looks like us. You see, we've painted this picture that Christianity looks like us. We're the same clothes as me. We're not satisfied that a person can be saved in grass skirts and stay in grass skirts. Are we? I think I shared when I was up in Port Augusta one time, Melanie and I went up there to do ministry, uh, and we were uh, doing ministry with a, a, a kids' ministry at a church, and we had all these young kids come, and, and uh, we, we taught them all about Jesus and, and that, and then in the evening they got me to preach the gospel, and I preached the gospel, and an Aboriginal man came to faith that night. And I took him aside and counseled him, and, and we went through the, the scriptures and that, and then at the end of it I said, so what do you think? He said, I want to go and buy me a suit now. Yeah, I laughed too. I thought, how ridiculous. Why, why do you want to buy a suit now? Because that's how they look. And that's how I need to be like them. I said, no, no. No, no. It's the heart that needs to change. God's not worried about the clothes you wear. As long as you wear them. <laughs> you see, that's the white man's religion that, 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 that's been painted throughout the world. And we've got to look like this like you. If you don't look like me, you can't be a Christian. No, we've got to look like Christ. Christ was coloured. Christ wore a skirt. That's how they portray him in the movies. Christ looked a lot different to us. And so if history doesn't favour the church and, uh, in, in this regard. And so the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, doesn't speak or teach that way either. Instead, he says, in verse 10 of chapter 3, Now I have put on the new self. Now that the Christian puts on the new self, does it say there, that means Levi jeans and T-shirts and baseball caps? No, the new self that the, that the native man puts on is not Levi's or T-shirts or baseball caps, 
But he says here, the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. To be Christ-like. Verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all. And Christ is in all. And so there is no distinction between races in Christ. It is not a white man's religion. For Christianity is neither a white or black man's religion, but instead it is a life which is centered on Christ. It is shaped by Christ. That is why verse 11 ends by saying, but Christ is all. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. If you don't get that, you haven't got Christianity. So as we come to our passage this morning, we must see the importance of this. We must recognize that as Christians, race does not shape our Christianity. The color of one's skin does not shape our Christianity. I can't believe that a Christian can be racist. But many claim to be Christian and they are racist. They are prejudiced. Either they're not Christians or they're not read the word. We are not better than everyone else. We are sinners saved by grace and by grace alone. Just as undeserving as the black man who picks up cigarette butts of the street. Saved by grace alone and Christ alone. We come to our text, the color of one's skin does not shape our Christianity. The culture of this world does not shape our Christianity. The religions of this world does not shape our Christianity. But Christ and Christ alone shapes our Christianity. Therefore, as we come to our passage this morning, we, we find ourselves in the realm of family, uh, family relationships, and, and these relationships they are shaped by who? By Christ. You're right. That is why chapter 3 begins by commanding the Christian to set their minds on Christ. Set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is. So as we consider our passage this morning, let us ask the question, what does a family in Christ look like when their minds are set on Christ? What does a wife in the Lord look like when her mind is set on Christ? Or a husband whose mind is set on Christ? Or a child in the Lord whose, whose mind is set on Christ? So the Apostle Paul writes in verse uh, 18, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, 
for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Folks, these are challenging and almost contradictory values in our day and age. We only have to watch the news, read the papers, or check our, our news feeds on Facebook to realise that what the Apostle Paul said here are contrary to the culture of the world. Men, women and children outside of Christ in our day and age would accuse the Apostle of a human rights violation. They heard him say this. They would accuse him of violating human rights. They would accuse him of being a bigot. Yet this is not just a problem outside the church. Even some within the global Christian community would have a hard time applying this text to the Christian family today in the right way. There are some Christians who, be it because of their liberal bent, would struggle to see how this kind of teaching would, would have a place in our, in our homes today. They would say this kind of teaching was okay for that day, but, but things are different now. Something's happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. <laughs> you see, women have power and strength these days. Men are more in touch with their femininity. And children have more say on how they are to be raised. Therefore, we don't need that instruction now. We're okay. We've got it all together. We've worked it out. And yet the Apostle Peter would say, in 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And then there are those of the more conservative bent who would welcome such teaching as support for their legalistic, unloving ways, they would salivate at such teaching to support their domineering, arrogant methods. In our day and age, it seems almost wrong to suggest that a wife should subject or submit, is the other word here, uh, that she should do this uh, to her husband. The images one could conjure up of what this might look like outside of Christ is anyone's guess, but I would think that it looks pretty cruel. I would think that, that outside of Christ, the husband would be an overbearing, arrogant kind of man. That he would look at his wife as a doormat, as a servant, as a thing to be used for his pleasure. And I would think that a wife outside of Christ who doesn't submit to her husband would be a difficult woman probably doesn't submit to any kind of authority if she doesn't want to, unless there's some kind of gain for her. I would think that she would be a very troubled person. And yet despite what the world thinks, despite what 
some well-meaning people might tell you the Lord through the Apostle Paul gives us the biblical mandate for family and work relationships in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands. That word subject means to submit oneself under the rule and authority of another who has authority over you. The Greek word for subject is, is a military term which, which implied that a soldier would, would put himself under the authority of his commander, that he would obey his commander so that when they went into battle, the commander was reassured that he had the support from his soldiers to achieve the result that he had planned for, to achieve victory. That's what that word means. It means he, he supported the one who had authority. Therefore, the wife can look here and go, wow, I don't know what, what that means. It means I'm not a doormat. It means I'm not a servant. It means I have a role to play here. I'm here to support my husband. So the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let me say, in terms of a family relationship, Wives, you are to be subjected to your own husbands, not to somebody else's husband. You are to be subjective in submission to your own husband. You don't go over his head and go to another man for advice. You go to your husband. And if he doesn't know the answer, he goes somewhere else to get it. That's what that means your own husbands. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Just like you don't go to somebody else but the Lord, you don't go to, a, to another husband but your own husband. Well, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It's everything. Everything means everything. In other words, the, wife, the wife's call to submit to her husband is modeled on the church's call to submit to the Lord. Because the church is called to submit to its head. Jesus Christ. Therefore, the wife can look to the church as it models submission to the Lord as the church submits to its leaders because the Lord has called those leaders to be the leaders. And as submitting to the, the leaders in the church, you are submitting to the Lord. And the wife gets her cues from that. doesn't mean that one is to submit by being mistreated. It doesn't mean that one carries the load of the other. It doesn't mean that one is trodden on under the feet of another. 
but it means that one will support the God-given authority of another by using their abilities, their giftings, to achieve the goals and the purposes for the cause of the gospel. And so the wife submits to her husband's God-given role as head of the household because that is what what's best for the relationship. That is what stands out against the culture of this world. Just look around. And that is what pleases the Lord. And then we might ask, well, how is she doing this? How is she to do this? Well, the Apostle Paul says, as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. Well, she, she does it as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, her support of her husband is to ensure that it fits with the Lord's agenda and not her husband's agenda. It means that she helps to keep her husband's mind set on Christ so that every time he wanders off, she will remind him to look to Christ. She will encourage her husband to read the word and to study the word. Why? Because she wants her husband to be the blessed man of Psalm 1, where the psalmist says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord or the word of God. And in his law he meditates all the time. His mind is consumed with the word of God because the word of God points him to Christ. And he is a blessed man. How blessed is he? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And so she will encourage him to do that, and she will encourage him to pray, to commune with the Lord, because she sees the benefit. She sees the blessing that comes from much time when her husband is communicating with the Lord through prayer. So that's what it means. We're not talking about being a doormat here. We're talking about being support for the cause. <laughs> We're not saying she has to put up with her husband's antics. We're not saying that she has to put up with her husband's ungodly ways. We're saying here that she points her husband to Christ. So she will do that. And she will do this despite the husband's neglect. Because the Apostle Peter talks about a, a, a beauty of a wife when she submits it is not outward, it is inward. God turns that light on and even a disobedient husband can actually 
be one to Christ. Therefore, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Lord, when they are being disobedient to the Lord, guess what? They may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. What's the behavior? The wife is submitting, supporting her husband, encouraging him to look to the Lord. So that phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, serves to qualify the meaning of submission. That's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, Whatever you do in word or de deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, in submitting as a wife to your husband. Therefore, when a wife doesn't obey the word to submit to your own husband as it's fitting in the Lord, she doesn't just fall short as a wife, she falls short as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 19, the apostle writes, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, just as wives are to submit, husbands are to love their wives, right? You're familiar with this, and it might look imbalanced here. You wives might be thinking, well, you guys get a better deal than us. <laughs> We've got to submit. You just have to love. And so you might think that that's imbalance and that submission may appear to be a stronger word than love. However, the term used here for love is the verb from form of uh, the, the word agape. And so this love that is commanded of a husband to display to his wife is the same kind of love that the Lord displays to his church. Again, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, if you want to know how you are to love your wife, you look to Christ. You ask yourself, well, how do I love my wife? You look to Christ. And there you will see how you are to love your wife. The Apostle Paul teaches us that Christ gave himself up for the church. That's how he loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. Now we need to understand that when Christ gave himself up for the church, it wasn't to a, a group of obedient, deserving, lovely people. That would be too easy. Wouldn't it? But in Romans 5, chapter 8 and verse 9 we read, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Verse 10, 
For if while we were enemies, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That same life he gave up. And so the Lord gave himself up for sinners. In fact, we were enemies of God prior to our conversion. That's the husbands, that's how you love your wives. So being enemies of God, we didn't love him. You didn't love him before you were converted. You didn't obey him before you were converted. You didn't submit to him. And yet he demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners and enemies with him, Christ died for us. And the Apostle Paul says that this is the way that a husband should love his wife. That the husband is not to look to the culture of this world to find his cues on how to love his wife because the culture of this world will teach you that love is reciprocated. That's what the culture of this world will teach you, that love is to be reciprocated, that you will love her because she loves you. That's how many in the church behave. They teach a reciprocal love. If you do this, I will do that. In fact, they look at God's love like that. That if we do this, God will love us. That is the love of a religious man. That is not the love of grace. That is not the love of agape. That is human love. That is man's idea of love. Therefore your love for her, your love that way, will depend on her love for you. Folks, that's not agape. Because agape is unconditional love. Agape is covenantal love. The love the culture of this world will teach you is contractual love. It means that you're in a contract. They say marriage is a contract. If you do this, I will do that. But no, marriage is a covenant. It said, I will love you no matter what. I will die for you no matter what. That's a covenant. Marriage for the world today, for the culture of the world today, is a contract. You do this and I'll do that. It is I'll love you only if you love me. But agape is the kind of love that says, I'll love you no matter what even when you aren't submitting, even when you are sinning, even when you're not reciprocating my love to you, 
I will love you. And I will demonstrate that to you even if I have to die for you. That's why the, the Apostle Paul adds to the clause, and do not be embittered against them. Well, we have much to learn, don't we guys? And this agape love is supernatural love. Therefore it is not done in our strength, but aided by the Holy Spirit. As we set our minds on Christ, and as we, we consume the Word of God, and as we go to Him and cry to Him in prayer, Brothers, look to Christ. Set your minds on Christ. If you are to love your wives this way, you have to look for the greatest example that is Jesus Christ himself. And look to me. Don't look to John or Stuart or any other man because you will go wrong. Look to Christ. He demonstrated how we are to love. Then the Apostle Paul moves on to children and says, Children, did you hear that? Children, be obedient. Whoa. Moms and dads love this. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Kids, did you hear that? You just don't obey them in some things. You obey them in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. You know, children, you're listening, kids. You need to listen. This is about you. If there is one thing as a parent I treasure for my children, it is obedience. If our children don't know how to obey us as parents, they will struggle and find it very difficult to obey the Lord. So children, obey your parents. It's practice for your obedience to the Lord. And yet we need to understand that this is to believing children. This is to children who love the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to children who follow Christ because the Apostle Paul says that these are children who desire to please the Lord. Now, not all children desire to please the Lord. Those who love the Lord desire to please Him. And I know sometimes mum and dad can seem like joy robbers, right? They steal your fun away and make you very upset because they don't let you do some things which you think are fun. But mum and dad are only looking after your best interests because mum and dad have experience because they too were children once. And they may not have listened to their mum and dads and made big mistakes. 
But the Lord has put you in their care. And so they are doing their best because they too want to please the Lord. I know sometimes obeying them isn't easy, but you have to help them. And you need to know that you have help from the Lord because the Lord said that he would help you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says that you were saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you are having help to obey Jesus Christ, you are going to obey mum and dad, right? Because you obey Jesus. And Jesus just said here that children should obey their parents. And that's not just the little children. That's the big children too. <laughs> obey your parents. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to obey Jesus. And to obey Jesus means we obey mum and dad. Well, let me encourage you because the Apostle Paul goes on to say, Fathers, daddies, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. As a father, we don't want our children to lose heart in the Lord. We don't want them to think of the Lord as the bad dude, as the joy robber, as the boring God, as the religious God. You know, Milani and I, we, we allowed our children to play sport. And this might shock some of you, but uh, sometimes because they did really well at their sport, they had to play games on Sunday, especially when they got to state level. Now, we, we tussled with that, and, and we tussled with that idea, but we realised that the Bible said that we weren't to exasperate our children or make them feel bitter about the things of the Lord. And so we allowed them to pursue their sports. And then one day a man said to me, you know, I've never let my children play sport, especially on a Sunday. I knew he was having a dig at me. And I replied to that man, wow, that's great. Praise the Lord. I'm sure the Lord is well pleased with your decision. And then I asked him, so where are your children now? in terms of their church life, in terms of Christianity. Oh, he said, they don't go to church anymore. No, mums and dads, we don't want our children to grow up thinking that our God is a religious, grumpy old man who doesn't show grace or mercy because that will lead our children to lose heart. We want to display to our children a great God, a God full of grace and mercy. We want them to know that Jesus did it all. That when he died on the cross and cried out, it is finished. There is nothing that they can do to save themselves, to lose their salvation. Because Christ 
has done it all. That's unless they're not saved at all. So we need to teach them that God is a God full of grace and mercy. We need to teach them that Christ has fulfilled every obligation, every law, every rule because they can't. And we need to teach them to look to Christ, to treasure Christ, and that as their love for Christ grows, they will sing with us that great old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. And so the life of a wife, the life of a husband, a child, a father, in Christ is a changed life. It is a sanctified life in that it is continually being sanctified or changed. And this doesn't mean there won't be difficult moments because there are always difficult moments. But what it means is that God, by his grace, continues to sanctify the Christian wife, the Christian husband, and the Christian child. And he does that by putting you in a family so that you can rub up against one another and shape one another for the glory of God. In fact, it will be in the difficult times that much will come and not in the easiest moments. If you have not grown over these difficult times, it might be that you have not looked to Christ. Therefore, look to Christ. Cry out to him. Plead with him and trust him to pour out his grace upon grace upon grace onto your needy mind and heart. In Psalm 16 verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who is at the right hand? Mums, dads, children, look to Christ. Fathers, look to Christ and trust Christ. Let's pray as the band comes up. Our God, we give you thanks for our Lord Jesus. Whether we're a, a, a wife, a husband, whether we're a mother, father, whether we're a, a child, this morning you've spoken to us all. And you have called us to look to Christ. There is no other way to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. So that the things of this world will grow strangely to in the light of his glorious grace. We just pray that prayer this morning. Lord. Help us as families. Help us to bring glory to you. To honor you to live in a way that is well-pleasing to you. We ask it in the name of Jesus.